um, the story. I am so excited about what we're doing. I'll just tell you kind of a, a quick heads up. I already have all my sermons done from now to the middle of December. Um, I just have been so excited about this tool that's going to help us dig in. How many of you have read chapter two this week? All of you have read chapter two. Lift up your hands. Okay, if for some reason you haven't, and I, the majority have, I want to encourage you, make sure and get a copy of this. Read ahead of time. Uh, you're going to understand the depth of the word and the breadth of the word like you never have before. If you're here and you go, well, I can't afford a copy, we'll give you one. We think it's that important. And uh, we want everybody here to understand God's message, his story for you and I. It's that vital. Uh, this is a tool to help us understand his word, the Bible. Very often when someone grabs a Bible and they say, you know, I'm going to read it this year. They get all the way to Leviticus and stop. Anybody do that? Yeah, it's like, no, no. But you're going to find a way to take you through and understand like you never have before. But the Bible is a big book. There are 1,089 chapters in the Bible. There are 31,103 verses in the Bible. And there are over 775,000 words in the Bible. So how do you bring all that together? Because I don't want you to miss this. Every word, every verse was God-inspired. They all fit. They're all perfect. As a matter of fact, when we go through the story, you're going to see something pretty cool. There's what we call an upper story. Now, in the upper story is where we see God's perspective. By the way, time. Time is an of essence here. Why? Because the Bible says a day is to the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is but a day. And by the way, the whole story has already happened in the upper story. God in his will, God in his love, God on purpose, brings together everything. Now, I do want to make this as clear as I can. Not everything that happens is God's will. But in the upper story, God promises to take everything and cause it to work together for good to those who love God and live their lives according to his purpose. So God wants to do that with you and for you. And in the upper story, we see that. And we're going to study on the upper story. You're also going to understand there's what we call a lower story. Now that's where we go into somebody's life and we're about to go into Abraham's life. And as you see how God works in Abraham's life and how that fits into the upper story, here's what I want you to catch is called the good news. You matter to God. And, and he wants your lower story, what's happening in your life, to fit into what's happening up here. And you, when you begin to understand the story, understand it's God's story of his love to you. You see, we saw last week that God created and he created all things. He created matter and he created you to matter. He wants you to live a life of meaning, and he wants you to know that. And so what did God do? He created everything, not just to be good, but to be very good. When you grab hold of God's creation, that's what you're going to understand. What he wants for you is not just the good, but the very good. And then we see that God made you and I to live a life of love, and he gave us a gift called choice. You have the freedom to choose. Everybody here today. You have the freedom to choose whether you want to live your life according to God's love and care and will and ways. That's up to you. He wants it for you, but he gives you that freedom to choose. Then we saw something else. There's an enemy. He's not always apparent. He doesn't always reveal himself, but in this case he did. And he came to bring destruction. He came to mess things up. He came to make your life not what it could be. And he's always 
operating. He's always working. And from time to time in the story, he begins to reveal himself in a more pronounced way. But what we know is this, is that because of the enemy, man fell and everything became a mess. But God did not have a plan B. God always had plan A. And plan A is what we're aiming at in this story. It's pointing to something that's going to culminate in a in pinnacle, pivotal moment in time in history that we all look either back to or forward to. And God wants you and I to find hope in that and peace in that and joy in that. And God wants that for you and I. But then we come to what I want you to grab today. This is the big, big idea. If you want to ask, what's the big idea today? Here's the big idea. That by faith, you and I find the very good. How do you and I enter into the very good life that God wants for you and I in the midst of everything else that occurs? It's by faith in God, by trusting in Jesus Christ, by grabbing hold of that. And by the way, here's what I'm trying to get you to grab. What this reveals is God wants it for you and God can give it to you. See, that's what God's desire is for you and I to enter into the very good life, the blessed life by faith, and then we would do this in a relationship with him. And so we see Abraham as a man of faith. Now, before we get to understanding Abraham, let's gather something else. What does the word faith mean? Faith does not mean, faith does not mean an intellectual belief. It doesn't mean that in my head I believe something. Faith means in my heart I believe it. And whenever I believe it in my heart, I'll take action. From time to time, do you know what happens in this building? About three years ago it happened, the fire alarm went off. It was a Sunday morning, the fire alarm went off, the lights are going. Do you know what? Nobody ran out. Nobody leaves. If it goes off right now, is anybody going to leave? No, because we don't believe that there's actually a fire. If you believe there was actually a fire, you would leave the building. You would run out because you would have faith that there's a fire. But when you don't have faith that there's a fire, you look at the flashing light and say, oh, those are cool strobes. And uh, we just go on. You see, when you believe something, you do something about it. That's what I want you to grab. Faith always gives birth to some kind of activity or action. It always does. And so when we really believe in God, then that's what we find faith operating in a way that makes us more active in our relationship with God. Now, Abraham is the father of faith. And so in looking at Abraham, you and I are going to learn six lessons on faith. I hope you have your notes. Six lessons that, by the way, here's where I'm going. Everything in the story points back to this at some point. Soren Kierkegaard said, if we do not understand Abraham, and especially one life instance of Abraham, we will never understand the Bible and God. So I want to make sure you and I understand the Bible and God. So we need to understand these six lessons of faith. So what's the first lesson? Lesson number one, faith brings blessings. Faith brings blessings. God wants to bless you, and faith is how you and I find ourselves being blessed by God. In Genesis chapter 12, and I hope you're there, we begin to see Abram being introduced to us. He's going to become Abraham, but notice what it says in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country. Did you catch that? It starts with doing something. Go. Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Did you notice in three short verses the word blessed is used five times? Why? Because God loves to bless, and faith leads to blessing. But it starts with this word, Abram, go, go. Now you got to realize he's 70-some years old when he gets this. 
And he says, I want you to go. And he lived in an incredible city called Ur. I do not know how it got its name. I think some guys were sitting around and said, what should we call our city? And they said, Ur, and that's how it got its name. <laughs> the last service thought that was funny. Um, but you know what is, many people don't realize that Ur had a beautiful library. Ur had a sports stadium. Ur had theater. And they're ready for this. Even in their day and time, Ur had a version of air conditioning in a desert area. They had built it in such a way that the air swept in and cooled off. And so people in Ur. And God is saying, I want you to leave the most thriving metropolis of its day, a place of comfort. And I want you just to go and trust me. Just go. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what he would inherit. He didn't know what was going to happen. He just believed and trusted God would give him the very best. See, that's the idea of faith. Faith brings blessing because when God says, go, we go. And that's what we call, you're ready for this. We're going to hit it over and over again. The I.O. Principle. I.O. principle, immediate obedience. Faith always has that as a part of who it is and what it is that we're immediately obedient to God. When God says, go, we go. And what happens is we lead to a life of blessing. Uh, Abram's given a fourfold promise. Number one, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. Number two, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And number four, all the people of earth will be blessed through you. This full, full blessing or promise that was given to him was meant to take him to a place where he would end up getting all his heart's desires met. You know why? Because there's three truths about Abraham that you and I need to understand. Now, I know there are six lessons in faith, but before we go to lesson number two, there are three truths about Abraham I want you and I never to forget. Number one, Abraham was a man of promise. He was a man of promise. I hope you write that down. He was a man of promise. His story takes up 13 chapters in Genesis because he's so important to what God's about to do. He's mentioned 75 times in the New Testament. And as God promised, his name is truly great. Most of you know this, but today Abraham is revered by Christians, by Jews, and by Islam. Did you grab All three revere him. All three honor him. All three see him as incredibly important. His name is great, and God promised to do that. He begins, though, being known by Abram, which means exalted father. He's 70-some years old, and his heart's desire, his greatest desire and dream has not been met. He wants to be a dad. He wants to know the joy to have a child. And, and his name said that. That's all about his name. And God tells him, I know your heart's desire. And to get your heart's desire, you've got to go from where you're at to a place that I'm going to show you. And you're going to experience this. And then when he gets in there, in Genesis 17, 5, he says, Abraham, I want you to know something. You are called the exalted father. And I know you want to have a child. But I'm going to change your name to Abraham, the father of a multitude. Because I'm going to more than bless you. I'm going to take it to a level beyond what you can even hope for fathom. Why? Because whenever you live a life with God in faith, you experience the very good. His wife, Sarai, which means a princess, in Genesis 17, 15, he changes her name to Sarah, which means my princess. God actually says, I know you're a princess to Abraham, but I'm going to make you a princess to me and to all others. I'm going to take you to a whole new level. And by the way, I've never met a woman who genuinely did not want to be honored and loved and treated as special, almost as a princess. And God says, by the way, women, when you come to me, I want to do that for you. And he wanted to do it for Abraham. Now, if you haven't caught it, and you will as we study this story, God loves changing names. 
He really does. That's, that's a part of God. He just loves to do that. He loves to change our names. Uh, you know, there was this guy named Saul and his life was horrible. So when he was born again, he named him Paul. So he would be not even remembered as the Saul who was vehement and vile. He's now a brand new creation. There was this guy named Simon. You know, Simon, he was always controlled by his emotions and vacillating. And Jesus believed in Simon more than Simon believed in Simon. So he changed his name to Peter, the rock. And he becomes the foundation of all that God is going to do through the apostles. God loves to change names. He just loves to do that. And I want you to know this. Albert already brought it up. I loved how Albert shared it during communion. In Revelation 2 verse 17, God tells us an amazing truth. He has a name for you and a name for me that only you and I know. And you don't even know it yet. God has a nickname for you that has to do with the promise he wants to enact in your life and the faith he wants you to live by and the destiny he wants you to grab hold of. And so in Revelation 2.17, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, and to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. I want you to think how intimate this is going to be. When we get to heaven, when I get to heaven with all of you, God's going to go, Chuck, and I'm going to go, you know my name. I'm going to go, Chuck, come here. In the midst of billions of people, he's going to go, Chuck, come here. He's going to say, I want to give you something, and there's going to be a white stone, and he's going to see that name. That's the name I've always called you. My name, Chuck's a pretty cool name. It means manly. But he's going to give me a new name that's going to even be better because it has to do with my destiny. It has to do with my calling. It has to do with my promise. It has to do with what God sees in me. There's not a one of you that's not going to happen to if you love the Lord. He's going to call you and say, come here, I want to give you a name. It's very intimate. It's very special. Do you ever give anybody in your life a nickname? I I mean, because you love them? When uh, our kids were growing up, I did that with both my sons and my youngest son, Tim, as he was growing up. He's an incredible man of God, now and father and pastor. But when he was little, I, I decided I wanted to just have some fun names for him. And so I, he was three years old and I said, I called him Timo. And, and so I'll never forget this moment. I looked at him, he was sitting on the couch. I go, Timo, come here. And he hopped off the couch. Instead of coming to me, he went to Pam, looked at Pam and said, how come dad doesn't know my name? Now, now, here's what's interesting. Are you ready? God knows your name. And God knows you so well and loves you so much. That's the idea of the story here. You matter that much to God that he has a special name to give to you. He wants to be that close. And if you're brand new to all this, see, this isn't about a religion. It really is about a God who wants to adopt you as his child and give you a special name and have a very intimate relationship with you. Now, for Abraham to have that happen, he not only had to be a man of promise. The second thing is, number one, he's a man of promise. Number two, he's a man of faith. He's a man of faith. For Abraham to get what God wanted, he had to go. He had to practice the I.O. principle. And then he would get this amazing, amazing truth given in his life. In Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 10, we see this being talked about. It says in verse 8, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. By going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, and architect was builder was God. 
Now, I know I read that quickly, but let me tell you what it's saying. He, by faith, went and trusted God. He wanted the life that God would build. He wanted the life that God would create. So he went to a place he did not know and trusted God no matter what. And when God said go, he went. When God said go, he goed. He really did. And you know what? God wants you and I to be the same way. Are we going to trust him? Because he was a man of faith. He didn't need to have all the answers. See, you and I know we're a person of faith. Whenever you open the Bible and you're reading the Bible and the Bible says, do this, you know what you do? You do it. By the way, if you don't have faith in God, don't have real faith in God, you don't. You question it. You go, I don't know if that applies to me. No, I'm not going to do it. But if I really love God and God says, do this, I want to have a life built by God, I'll do it immediately. When God prompts me in my spirit, I'm going to do it. Why? Because I love God and I trust God. And, and I, I don't mean this to be condemning. Let me just, just but be honest. Someone who will not do that does not have faith in God. You know why? We have faith in ourselves. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And then he will direct your paths. Abraham acknowledged him and his path was directed. Lots of people say that they believe in God, but they don't really have faith in God because God's not directing their path. And they value and worship their own understanding more than God. And we know that because we say, well, in the Bible it says to do this and they won't do it. But if you trust God, you'll do it. If I trust God, I'll do it. And Abraham was a man who did it because he was a man of faith. He was a man of promise, a man of faith. The third thing, he was a man of destiny. Abraham was a man of destiny. God said, I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to make you a great blessing. And Abraham came to a point where it was tough to think of. It started when he was 70, God made the promise. Now he's turning 80 and he doesn't have a child yet. And he's starting to waver a little. And God says, Abraham, I want to promise you I'm going to do it. Come outside. And in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, it says, He took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said, So shall your descendants be. Two thoughts hit me about this. Number one, I am so glad that Abraham was not in the L.A. area. <laughs> yeah, I see those four stars. That's how many I get, you know. He, could, have you ever gone to Joshua Tree? Or maybe up to Mammoth and seen the stars. That's what he saw. I've been in Israel. You look at the starry sky there. It is gorgeous. Innumerable. Amazing. And God said, I know you're 80 years old. And I know it doesn't seem to make sense. But I want to tell you it's going to happen. By the way, right now there's some of you going, okay, this is a great message. But I want you to know what's for you. Do you realize God wants you to be a person of promise? a person of faith and a person of destiny. He really does. That's the story. The story is you and I matter that much. You really matter that much. And you might go, no, I don't matter that much. Well, Abraham could have thought that. I mean, this is the least likely man to give birth to a nation. He's 80 years old and childless. He and his wife are both elderly and they're infertile. So when God wanted to build a nation, he took an elderly, infertile couple to an act of promise. Why? Because they had faith in him. You might sit there today going, I don't have talent. Well, it doesn't matter what you have. It matters what God has, and he has talent. And you might say, well, I don't have the power or the strength. God has the strength. You might say, well, I don't know. I just don't know. Is God really going to use me? Think about what the Bible teaches. 
In spite of everything, God used the least likely people. Abraham was old. Isaac was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was a slave. Moses stuttered. Gideon was fearful. Samson was proud. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was disobedient. Naomi was a widow. Mary was a poor teenage girl. John the Baptist was extremely eccentric. Uh, Peter was impulsive. Martha worried like crazy. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Thomas was filled with doubt. Uh, Paul was in poor health. Timothy was timid. And by the way, God used Lazarus and he was dead. You could be dead and God could use you, right? So if you ever think there's no way God could use me, then you don't know God. And if you ever think there's no way God would use me, are you ready? You don't know God. But when you know God, you know he could and even will and would use you. He wants to use you. You matter. When we study the story, that's what you should find. And so you might feel like time's like the least likely person. But by the way, even today, beyond the Bible, the story goes on. When God wanted to start an amazing prison ministry, he took a man whose life was doomed and thrown into horrible, horrible failure and shame. And it was even a prisoner named Charles Colson and enacted one of the greatest prison ministries we've ever seen. Uh, when God wants to teach us about joy and about life, he does it with a man named Nick who has no arms and no legs and a last name I can't pronounce. Uh, Vojacic, I think is what it is. I got it. That was his last name. But, but you know what? Have you guys ever seen Nick? No arms and no legs, and he's so filled with joy. And I don't know if you know this. This is cool. He's been keeping track since God has been using him. He's approaching a time right now, very close, where when he gives the invitation, one million people will have come forward. One million. I love that recently he was in an Islamic country and they threatened to arrest him. And he said, what are you going to do, cuff me? <laughs> that guy's got joy. He's getting married. He's going to have a child. Uh, he is married going to have a child. God, you, when he wants to teach us joy, he uses Nick. When he wants to teach us about love and grace... He takes the ex-member of a mafia family named Michael Francis and shows us love and grace. You see, God just does that. And you and I might think, is he going to do that? When he wants to teach you and I about heaven, he takes a four-year-old little boy named Colton and reveals heaven to us. See, God does because he can, and God can because he wants to. God does this for you and does this for me. And Abraham is a man who believes in God. He finds himself to be a person of promise, a person of faith, and a person of destiny. And by the way, please don't miss this. You should too. You should too. God loves you and cares about you so much he sent his only begotten son for you. You matter that much to him. He has a name he wants to bestow upon you because you matter that much to him. In Hebrews 11 verse 6 it says this, And without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, I want you to hopefully know there is a God. There is a God, and he loves you, and he wants to adopt you as his child. But don't miss the second thing. He wants to bless you and bless you and bless you and reward you. So if we are going to have real faith in God, we not only believe he is, we believe we matter because he loves, because that's who he is. And so lesson number one of faith is faith leads to blessings. Faith leads to blessings. Lesson number two, faith leads to a friendship with God. 
Faith leads to a friendship with God. Now, God wants to be your father, but are you ready for this? He wants to be your friend. I uh, love my two sons. I love them. And I'm so glad now that they're men that we're not only father and son, but we're friends. We hang out together. We sit by the fire and talk. We do things together. It's one of the joys of my life that my sons are my friends. My wife, Pam, is my best friend. I love that she's my wife. But I got to say this, she is literally my best friend and there's no one in all the world that I cherish a friendship more than her. Are you ready for this? God wants to be your dad and God wants to be your friend. He wants that kind of intimacy with you. He wants to be that close to you. He wants to speak with you and guide you and share with you. He wants to enjoy life with you. See, Abraham believed in God and he was his friend. James chapter 2 verse 23 And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. He was called the friend of God. Why? Because he had real faith in him. He really believed in him. God wants you to be his friend. He desires that for you. Remember how uh, the story began? The story began with God loving Adam, but then sin separated them. And God came and said, Adam, Adam, where are you? And he hid. But now where does the story go? God calls out to Abraham and he heeded. When you heed, when you have faith, you have friendship with God. God desires that. And by the way, it really is for you and it really is for me. Galatians chapter 3 verses 6 to 9 talk a lot about blessing. But I want you to catch what it says. And this becomes big to understanding the story. It says in verse 6, Even so... Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, because of that, knowing that, be sure that it is those who are of the faith who are the sons of Abraham. Who are the children of Abraham? Is it by birth? Is it by blood? Are you ready? No, it's by faith. Now the Jewish people and and even the Islam, we'll get in that more in a minute, they have a, a lineage to Abraham that's by physicality. But you and I, have the same, if not better, relationship with Abraham and God because of faith. It's those who are of the faith that are the true children of Abraham. Now, why is this a big deal? Because as we read the story, you're going to see a lot of promises that are given to the Jewish people. But if you and I have faith in the Lord, then we have those promises true of us. Let me give you an example. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, uh, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans of good and not of evil to give you a future and hope. So here's the thing. You might say, but wait a minute. God was saying that to the Jewish people. But yes, he was. But he was saying that to the children of Abraham. And if you're a child of Abraham by faith, that promise is for you. So you can read all the Old Testament promises. Those are for you. And they're awesome. See, that's what it goes on to say here in verse 8. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. In other words, all the nations can have the promises you have if they would have faith in me. Verse 9, so then those who are of the faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Now, God loves the Jewish people, but God loves all people who become his children. And how do we become his children? Through faith. How do we inherit the promise? Through faith. And get ready. Through faith, we become God's friends. One of the great promises, one of the great callings is that we would not only have him as our father, we would have him as a friend. And all those who love God and believe in him, God says, I want to be a friend of yours. I want to share friendship. So lesson number two, faith leads to a friendship with God. Lesson number three, faith believes and trusts even when it's hard. 
Faith believes and trusts even when it's hard. That's how we know real faith. That not in the easy time, in the tough time, when it doesn't make sense, we still believe and trust. Um, remember when we see the upper story that God wants to give us the very good? Well, in the end, we believe God will. And there's sometimes it's hard to believe he will. There's some moments either because of our own sin and failure, we're not sure what's happening, but we just trust God will do something. There's some times when other people are evil and mean and cruel. And by the way, some of you have been hurt that if you trust God, he's going to do something. He's going to take it and make it good. You're not beyond that. And then there's times when just life gets amazingly hard. The word tragedy takes you to a place where you're crying your eyes out and can't seem to stop. Pam and I watched faith happen the beauty of God revealed last Friday, this past two days ago. Um, we went to be with the family, the Ocker family, whose 10-year-old son Aiden is passing away. We went down to be with them in the hospital, and I got to tell you, my heart was breaking as I went there. That little guy has such courage. Let, let me tell you something. He knew this time was coming, and he still did all his homework. His mom and dad said, you don't need to do that. He said, oh, yes, I do. I want to get it all done. He wanted to try to get straight A's. He was a courageous young guy. And uh, we went down, and when I opened the door, and Pam and I went to walk into his hospital room, it was filled with people who were crying their eyes out, and they were sad, but there was so much joy. Big difference between joy and happiness. In that moment, I could see it. Raina and Roger, his parents, were crying and crying, yet they were, they were talking about the joy that he is, the blessing he is, the love he is, and they were right. And then um, I talked to his grandmother, and she said this to me, and I, this is why I'm telling you this. She said, I want you to know that ever since this started, my faith in God has grown stronger and stronger every day. See, faith does that. Faith grows stronger and stronger and stronger when it doesn't seem like it's going to make it. By the way, I want to tell you something about him. When this first set in, he said the greatest desire of his heart was to be baptized here at Crossroads. And because they had to do kind of a radical surgical procedure, the doctor said, I don't know if that's a good idea. And Aiden finally said, you know what? It doesn't matter. God thinks it's a good idea. And in our nine o'clock service a few uh, months ago, he and his father were baptized together. And um, he... Aiden knows God and loves God, and God knows and loves Aiden. But when it's hard, when it's hard, what do you do? Well, Romans 4, verse 18 tells us about Abraham. Listen to what it says in verse 18. In hope against hope, he believed. The older he got, the more li less likely it seemed he could have a child. I mean, when you hit 90, I don't think you're thinking about kids, do you? And he had 90, 95, he's coming up to 100, and he believed, believed, believed with hope against hope. That's what faith does. So that he might become the father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Verse 19, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully assured that what God had promised he was able to perform. That's what he believed. He believed, I know 
know God could do this. And you'll go, Abraham, you're 95 years old. Give it up. And he said, I'm not going to give it up. God will give me a baby. I know I'm going to get a baby. I'm not going to give up because God told me I'd get it. Hebrews 11, Sarah believed it. Hebrews 11, 11 and 12, by faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time in life. She'd gone into her 90s since she was considered, uh, considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even to one man and him as good as dead as that many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and as numerable as the sand which is by the seashore. God just does it. By the way, God, God very often takes us to a place and we go, I don't know if this could happen. And then God does things. I've watched him do it. Uh, some years ago, I, I watched a couple in our, that, that Pam and I knew when we were close to. Their little boy Joshua prayed that his mom would get pregnant, and she did. And I used to start telling that story of the power of prayer. And I was at Kentucky Christian College preaching, and, and I'll never forget the Murray family happened to stop by on their way to go to a short-term mission trip. And their son Joshua, interestingly Joshua, was sitting right about here. He was in seventh grade, and I'm telling the story of the power of prayer and how this little Josh believed. And, and Josh got all excited, and when the sermon was over, he ran to his brother Jeremiah, who was in high school. He said, hey, did you hear Chuck's sermon? And he said, yeah. He goes, hey, let's pray that mom gets pregnant. Now, Lynn, Dave and Lynn were in their 40s. They had decided no more. They already had three kids. And Jeremiah said, that's a great idea. So they went and sat by a tree at Kentucky Christian College. And Nicole Walla, who was attending our, our now attends Crossroads, was walking by and she saw them. And she went up and said, what are you guys doing? They said, we're praying mom will get pregnant. And she said, does your mom want to get pregnant? They go, we don't care. You heard the sermon. And she goes, all right, I'll join you. And a group of them joined and prayed every day. And are you ready for this? Two months later, Lynn feels like she's uh, got the flu and goes to the doctor. And the doctor said, no, I don't think it's the flu. Um, did you eat anything? And she goes, that's possible. He goes, well, let's do a pregnancy test. She looked at her doctor going, you know that's not possible. He goes, let's just do it anyway. And he walked in the room and said, Lynn, hold your breath. She goes, how could this happen? And he said, you know, I know you're a Christian and I'm a Christian. It's a miracle. It's just a miracle. And, and Josh and Jeremiah are all excited. Well, they get so excited. Josh's best friend, Mark, has a sister named Kimmy. And they decide they're going to pray for their mom, Leah, who's also in her 40s. And had decided no more kids. And they said, if that happened, we're going to pray. And they prayed and Leah became pregnant. I was so excited, I got up in front of the whole church and introduced them and told everybody. And then I told Jeremiah and Josh and Mark and Kimmy, I said, you guys want to have fun? And they said, yeah. I said, go outside afterwards, and when you see an older lady come by, you point at her and just bow your heads. And uh, <laughs> God just does that. I think, by the way, I, I, I want to tell you, you might say, does God do that? Why would he do that? I, I want to tell you, I think I know he has a great sense of humor. I think God's up in heaven laughing, going, she's 90. I'm going to have her be pregnant. Look at that, Gabriel, 90 years old, first baby. She's going to breastfeed. You know, and uh, uh, <laughs> she did, she did. I, anyway, um, so, so here's the thing. God does that. And, and see, Abraham, Abraham had to believe anyway. He had to trust anyway. And so lesson three, faith believes and trusts even when it's hard. And then what does it do? It grows. But I do want to not miss lesson four. Lesson four is lack of faith has consequences. The Bible is incredibly honest, and Abraham and Sarah are not perfect. 
By the way, you and I are not perfect either. And here's the good news, that our faith at times may struggle. Our faith, when it does struggle, this is not necessarily good news, just truth. It has a consequence in it. When you and I don't hang on to faith and we don't trust in God, there's consequences that come. And Abraham and Sarah would encounter that. They uh, didn't see any way it could happen, and so they decided to take matters into their own hands. It's 10 years after God has given the promise in Genesis 16, verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid, and perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, this was not the good. This wasn't the best. And remember, the first lesson we learned is that God only gives the very good and only God only lives the very best. And if it's not the very good and it's not the very best, it's not from God. And they were going a different direction here, and, and, and a child ends up coming named Ishmael. And God says, well, because you did that, I'm going to go ahead and take care of him, Abraham. But let me tell you, it's not going to be good. In Genesis 16, God himself pronounces a prophecy over him in verse 12 and says, He will be a wild donkey of a man and his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him and he will live to the east of all his brothers. He is going to create dysfunction in your family and as time goes on, these two children will give birth to two different groups of people and they will always be a conflict and they will always have tension and they're always going to have problems and in the East, we're always going to see that happen. I think most of you know, if not all of you, that the, the Jewish people trace their heritage to Abraham through Isaac and the Islamic people trace their heritage to Abraham through Ishmael. And what is happening, and by the way, literally right today, go and turn the news on. Do you see conflict in the Middle East? Hatred and violence rearing its head? Do we see the whole world looking, saying, why is this? And by the way, they're all from the same father, fighting it out, killing each other, seeking to annihilate each other. God said that's what's going to happen. When Adam sinned, you and I reap the consequence of Adam's sin. And when Abraham sinned here, the world today is reaping the consequence of Abraham's sin. Whenever you and I sin, it has consequences. In this moment, that lack of faith, it would, would hurt him and hurt others. By the way, please don't miss this. God's grace is there for us. But when you and I don't cling to faith, there's a consequence to that. But when we do cling to faith or return to faith, lesson number five, faith is rewarded. By the way, if you have a time where you're struggling like Abraham did, God still had his hands on him and still loved him. And so his faith was rewarded. And in Genesis chapter 18, it's really incredible. God actually comes in physical form to be with Abraham, to strengthen his faith, to let him know he still had him in his hand. In verse 10, it says, God said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, and Sarah was past childbearing. I mean, she's 90 years old. And it says in verse 12, Sarah laughed to herself, and listen to what it says, saying, after I have become so old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being so old. Now, do you know what she's talking about there? Not having the child right now. She's talking about how you get the child. Are we going to do that? I mean, he's like 100. Whoa. And she's excited. She's laughing, going, honey, come to bed. 
You know, and she's all, all, I was talking about this one time, and I happened to mention, can you imagine someone elderly being that way? And an, 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 an elderly woman with all white hair grabbed my hand afterwards and said, Pastor Chuck, I need to tell you something. Just because there's snow on the rooftop doesn't mean there's not a fire in the oven. You know, <laughs> I love that. I just, that's what Sarah was like. Whoa, are we going to have pleasure? By the way, you remember faith has to take an action? Guess what action they had to take? It's awesome to serve God, isn't it? And, uh, and God says, next year I'm going to do this. And then what happens in Genesis 21? She becomes pregnant and delivers a son, and she names him Isaac. And the word Isaac means laughter. Laughter. You know why? Because not only did she get joy, not only did she get happiness, she got laughter. She got to cheer and laugh. And, and God's, that heart's desire of Abraham, I want a child, I want a child. And, and, and Sarah, I want a child. And God did it. God, in the end, will bless our lives so it's filled with laughter. How he does it for each of us, I don't know. But lesson number five, faith is rewarded. And it's very unique and very personal how God does that for you and me. But don't miss it. And then the sixth lesson, you ready? Faith tested brings more blessings. This is the section that Soren Kierkegaard said you and I must understand to understand all of the Bible and to understand God. And what is it? It's the testing of Abraham. Will he love God more than anyone or anything? The Bible says the greatest desire of God, the greatest commandment in all of Scripture is that you and I would love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. That we would love God more than anyone or anything. That I would love God more than Pam, more than my kids, more than grandkids. And, and when I do that, guess what? I become more loving. I become more, more, more clo- I, I become more intimate with God. And, and Satan is always trying to get us to love something other than him or someone other than him. And uh, so what happens is he now has reached a point of faith where we're going to find out he loves God more than anything. So in Genesis 22, verse 1, it says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. And what does Abraham do? Remember, he has faith in God. And whoever has faith in God practices the I-O principle, immediate obedience. He immediately was obedient. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had showed him. See, this is shocking because it seems to go against the nature of God. But the nature of God asks this question. Do you love me more than anyone else? Peter, do you love me more than these? Abraham, do you love me more than Isaac? And he's looking at you and me saying, do you love me more than anyone or anything? That's the greatest test of faith of all. Well, we love God that much. Jesus came and clearly said, that's the calling you and I have. That's the teachings of Jesus also. But Abraham had a promise. Abraham was told by God, I will make you the father of a multitude through Isaac. And Isaac wasn't married and Isaac didn't have children. Now that's why this is very, very specific to him. And and so he's saying to him, I promise I'll do that through Isaac. So here's the question, do you believe me? And if you believe me, do you believe if you go offer him on an altar, I will raise him from the dead? Because that's the only way this could happen. And Abraham did believe that. In Genesis 22, 5, Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad 
and we will go over there and we will worship and return to you. In Hebrews 11, 17 and 19, we're told that he believed with all his heart that God could raise him from the dead. He believed God could do it. On page 20 in here, I love how it words it because it's right out of the NIV. And it says that, that Isaac said to him, we have wood and we have the fire, but dad, what are we going to offer? And Abraham answered and said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering for my son. God will provide a lamb. Now, what happened, I almost all of you hopefully know in red, is that he tied up Isaac and put him on the altar. He took a knife, and he was ready to drive it through him, still knowing he'd be raised from the dead, but knowing the pain, knowing the agony, it had to have crushed him. It had to have broken his heart to think about doing this, and his son laid there willing to. Isaac was of age. He could have overpowered a 120-year-old man, but he willingly did what his father asked. And Abraham took the knife and was about to do it. And it says the angel of the Lord. And the angel there in the Hebrew is the message of God, the messenger of God. So it's not actually an angel. It's the word of God spoke to him and said, don't do it. I now see you have not held your, with your only son from me. Did you catch that? From me. It's not an angel. It's, it's Jesus. And then he said he heard a sound and he looked over and there was a ram in the thicket. But remember, Abraham said God will provide a lamb. Do you know why? Because Abraham knew that 2,030 years later, the only begotten son of God would walk on that same road they walked on carrying wood like Isaac did. But the wood he would carry is a cross. He would go to that exact spot 2,030 years later, but God would not stay his hand. The only begotten Son of God would die right there. That's the story. And God did it so that if you and I would understand that God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe or have faith in Him would never perish but have everlasting life. And that's what Abraham knew and believed and looked to. The one thing that God would do, nobody else could do. And he trusted God with it. You see, God wants you to now Do what Abraham did. Abraham looked to Jesus knowing he would come. You and I need to look at Jesus knowing he came. And he wants you to know that if you understand love and you understand life and you understand God, that he wants the sacrifice of Jesus to be in your place, just like the sacrifice of Jesus was in the place of Isaac. And he wants you to inherit a life of promise and a life of faith and a life of destiny. And if you're here today and you're wondering, how do I do that? Here's the answer. It starts by praying and then it goes next with an immediate obedient moment. It starts by you having enough faith in God to actually say the words, I want to give my life to you. And right now, I'm going to ask this, that no one slip out anymore until we're done with this time because it's too important. Why is it so important? Because we're praying and praying and praying. There are some of you here today who are going to actually give your attention to God. You're going to think about him. You're going to open up to him. You're going to be willing to listen to him. And we're praying that the Holy Spirit would touch you. And I'm going to ask this. Everybody here right now who's a Christian, would you start praying for everybody who needs to give themselves to God? I want you to pray for people right now, and maybe this is you. You've never, ever given your life to Christ before. You've never entered into a relationship where God was your dad and God's your friend. He wants it to be that real. He wants you to open up. And again, how do you do it? You pray. Today when I woke up, I had a burden on my heart that today was a day for some prodigals to come home. 
So if you're here today and you used to walk with God and used to close to him, I want you to know God loves you. And you might say, but you know what? I remember when I gave my life to the Lord and I loved him so much, but I went and did this and this and this. Does God want me back? Let me tell you the answer, yes. He could not want you back more. He couldn't love you more. And I think today there was a stirring in my heart because there's someone here today who's a prodigal child and God wants you home. He loves you. And the minute you would pray that prayer, the joy of heaven would be literally unleashed upon you. And the minute you'd be willing to make the walk we're gonna ask you to make, you'll sense God grabbing you and running to you. There's some of you here today I know who are hurt. You've been hurt by people, maybe even by Christians. But I wanna tell you, God loves you. And he wants to take away the hurt and the pain. Some of you, tragedy has hit and it was hard to hang on. Today you need to recommit. So we're going to ask God right now to stir and touch anybody who would say yes to him for the first time or to recommit or to be healed or hurt. And so I'm going to ask God to do that. And then right after that, I'm going to ask anybody here who wants to to pray a prayer with me where you can give your life to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do pray right now. I'm joined, I know, by hundreds and probably thousands of other believers who are praying and asking God for you to send your Holy Spirit upon anyone today who needs you. God, we ask that you would touch them. We ask right now that they would know how real you are. And God, I pray there are some men and women who are sitting here and guys and girls who are sitting here that, that Lord, for the very first time are about to open their heart to you. They can sense it. I think they're probably almost tingling right now knowing this is their moment. And if they say these words and, and mean it, it's gonna happen. And God, I just thank you for what's about to occur. Father, I pray for a, a person who's here today that at one time they loved you. They've wandered from that. They've, they've gotten angry. They've gotten upset or they've, they've gotten caught up in something they shouldn't. And right now they need to come home. And I pray, God, they know that they're loved and they're wanted. And if they would pray this prayer and take this step, Lord, you would run to them. The joy of heaven would be unleashed upon them. They're about to have it back. They didn't think they could get it back and they're about to. And Father, I want to pray for people who are here today and pain is very real to them. Emotional pain that hurts and aches to the depth of who they are. And I pray, God, today they would let go of it, just open up to you and let you bring the true healing to them. For some, it's a very personal healing. For others, I think, God, there's some relationships, some marriages that need to be healed. They need to restore their relationship and their marriage to you and together they need to come. God, there's some dating couples here who need to put their lives right with you. I pray you're gonna stir in them. There's some people here today who just feel alone and lonely. And God, I pray they would know your touch. So Father, I know there are people here who need to be people of promise and faith and they need to arrive and grab hold of their destiny. So I pray they would do that right now. I'm going to ask that we keep praying. And right now I'm going to lead that prayer. And I'm going to ask you, would you do this? Would you whisper it with me? If you want the Lord or you want to rededicate your life back to him or you want his healing, whisper this prayer with me. And here's the word. Say this. Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross so that I would be forgiven and cleansed of all my sin so that I would be healed of all hurt and all pain. And I know that it was so that I would be free from fear, from my past, and even from myself. 
and I say yes, say those words, I say yes, I want this and I want you. And I want the life you have for me. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit. And help me be who you created me to be. And help me live the life I'm meant to live. Because I'm yours now. Now and forever, I'm yours. And I know and I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. And amen if you prayed that prayer.